Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for making us children of the promise. It is you who has caused us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is our Savior, who is our King, who is our Lord. We thank you. We thank you for all of your blessings, Lord. But we mainly thank you for Christ. For he is the reason why we gather this morning. For he has saved us from our sins. Oh, Father, he has cleansed us, O oh Lord. We are cleansed through his blood. And we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word, for it is true. And we thank you that it teaches us and it instructs us. And so we pray for your help this morning, Father. Would you teach us this morning? Would you instruct us by your word? And may we hear it. May you, may you give us ears to hear, O oh Lord. And not just hear, but to apply and to do. Father, for your glory, for your honor. Oh, Father, for your praise. We ask that you would do it, Lord. Quiet our minds, oh Lord. Quiet my mind, Father. Cause us to see Jesus. Cause us to see Christ this morning. Come by your Holy Spirit, Father. Come and fill us so that your people might be edified. And Father, you would be glorified. Thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are taking a short little break from um, 1 Corinthians 13, our series on love. Um, Some of you may be disappointed. Those sermons have been quite good. (laughs) But we're going to take a a break over these next two weeks. And we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. You know, prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines that I would say that most Christians struggle with. I mean, if you were to ask the greatest prayer warrior you know, or one of the, 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 those people that you know that you, you, you ask them to pray for you because you know that they're the ones that are going to pray. They're prayer warriors. And if you were to ask them how their, their prayer life is, most of them, I would say, I would think would say, well, I don't. I don't pray enough. I can, I can pray more. For most of us, prayer is a struggle. It is, a, it is hard. It is a struggle. Many claim that they are really not sure how to pray or, or what to pray. And for some people, they might not even understand or know really what prayer is. I mean, we have all heard the the simplistic definitions like um, it is a conversation between uh, you and God. Or or like I read on Facebook this week, it's it's a it's an important phone call to God. All the theologians on Facebook, there are plenty of them. 
It, don't worry, there was nobody in here. So there was nobody in here. Others treat prayer like a magic formula. If, you, if I say all the right words and say the words in the right order and finish it with an in Jesus name, then it's guaranteed to work. Then there are the people who use prayer as a stall technique because they are afraid or can't make a decision. So you ask them to serve in some type of capacity within the church. You ask them to do something and they say, um, well, let me, let me get back to you. I need to, I need to pray about it for a minute. They stall. They use prayer as a stall technique. Prayer is a struggle for most of us. It it poses theological questions as well. If if God is sovereign, why pray? Why pray if God is sovereign? Do my prayers really change anything? All of these questions, what to pray, how to pray, how long should I pray? Do I pray to God, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Questions, questions, questions. For a lot of us, it poses, prayer poses just too many questions. Too many questions. It is too much work. And you claim you just don't have enough time to pray. And so what most of us do, what we end up doing is neglecting it. We just, we just don't pray. We see it as something as we are, that we are supposed to do, but really find, rarely find the time to do it. And find ourselves praying as we should. Some use the excuse, well, well, I don't, I don't know how to pray. When in reality, what you are saying is that I am just lazy and I have failed to see prayer for what it truly is. But there are some of you, um, there's no doubt, there are some of you who just really have not even been taught how to pray. And so, and so you, you find it intimidating, you find it hard and a struggle because you just don't know how to pray. But there is hope this morning. There is hope for you this morning for Jesus has given us instructions in his word how to pray. So over the next two weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at Luke 11. 1 through 13, and this morning we're going to look at Luke 1 through 4. And we are a passage of scripture that, which is probably familiar to most of us, but what I want to do is I want to draw our attentions to three striking truths that came out of this passage this morning. And then next week we'll tackle the parable where Jesus tells us, uh, that Jesus tells in verses 5 through 13. Prayer. I think, a, I think a lot of people are intimidated by prayer. They're, they're intimidated by it. And I think some of that intimi- in, in, um, intimidation stems from comparing our prayers to others. We tend to get impressed with people who use big words in their prayers or can go on and on and on so eloquently about anything and everything. And we think, we say, my, my prayers don't sound like that. How come my prayers don't sound like that? We think those are the ones that really work. Those are the ones that God is hearing. Not so fast. Jesus is not impressed. Jesus is not impressed. He, he debunks that myth when he says in Matthew 6, 5 through 6, and when you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't get impressed by people who can pray long and eloquent prayers. Jesus is not impressed. And if Jesus debunked that myth in Matthew chapter 6 in our text this morning, I think he, sm- he shatters that idea altogether. For Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in a prayer of just 36 words. 36 words. Jesus models for them a prayer so jam-packed with truth, meaning, and implications that to pray this prayer with eyes that sees, ears that hear, and minds that understands transforms not only an individual, but it transforms a community. Namely, the church, and specifically this morning, I pray that it would change us, East Point Church. Because we have prayed this prayer. Luke, Luke here starts off chapter 11 by letting us know that Jesus, that Jesus was praying. Jesus was praying. Now, if you are anything like me, you are amazed by this fact. This is the first striking truth I want to draw your attention to this morning. Jesus is praying. The son of God who was in the beginning, who always was and is praying. In fact, in fact, Luke, Luke records for us um, the accounts of Jesus praying more than any of the other gospel writers. Eleven times Luke references that Jesus was praying or that he withdrew to pray to his heavenly father. In Luke chapter 9 just before, just before Jesus chose the, the, his disciples, it says that Jesus prayed all night. He prayed all night before he chose the 12. Jesus prayed. If the point is not made that, that we should pray, I am not sure what else will convince you. I am not sure what else will convince you. Jesus models for us a dependence on the Father for everything. Here is Jesus healing people, casting out demons, has the authority to forgive sins, and relying with dependence upon his Father. And we claim that we don't have time to pray. Jesus prayed. But that's not all. That's not all. Not only do we see Jesus praying throughout the Gospels, but Jesus Jesus is praying right now. He is still praying. In fact, he is praying for you right now. Right now, he is continually, always praying for you. Hebrews 7.25 says he always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Christ this morning, he is praying for you. At this moment. You want to know why to pray? Look to Jesus. 
You want to know how to pray? Look to Jesus. When to pray? Look to Jesus. Jesus prayed. The other striking truth about this passage is that it is overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly community-oriented. That is why I am so convinced that this prayer, when prayed by people whom Christ has redeemed, that this is where you see a community of believers transform. Can the Lord's Prayer be prayed individually? Yes. Yes, it can be prayed individually, and I think it should be prayed individually. But we should not neglect to pray this prayer together as a community. For inherent in this prayer is an emphasis on the body. It is an, there is an emphasis on community. I mean, it's all throughout the prayer. In verse, in verse 3, Jesus tells um, his followers to pray, Give us each day our daily bread. Most of us don't have a problem praying this because most of the time we say, give us our daily bread. But what we really mean is give me my daily bread. For we know what Jesus means when he tells us to pray that, that we are to rely on our heavenly father for everything, for all of our needs. He is not only our creator, but he is our sustainer as well. He not only upholds the world by the power of his word, he upholds us. As well. And he tells us that we are not to worry about our physical needs, not to worry about them. In Matthew 6 25 to 26, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you, and are you not more valuable than they? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it reminds us also that God provides for us spiritually as well. He is the daily nourishment for our souls. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God provides our daily bread, both physically and spiritually. And and we should be reminded because if we, if we know our Bibles well, it, it reminds us how he provided for the people of Israel. How he provided for them. What did God tell them in the wilderness? He, he told them to gather enough manna for that day and to trust him to provide for the next. We understand all this. We understand what it means when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That God meets all of our needs. But most of us, when we pray that petition, are only thinking about ourselves. But church, Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. 
Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to pray for the needs of others, for the daily bread of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying our, for our daily bread reminds us that we are a community, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that God is saving and sanctifying a people for his glory. Despite, despite what you might think, it's not only you who God loves. It's not only you who God loves. It's not only you whom he provides for, but he is the great shepherd who loves and cares for all of his sheep. That is why we say, he tells us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Then Jesus goes on to tell them, he says, pray, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. We are to confess our sin to our heavenly father in repentance and be reminded that our sin is a stench. It is a stench to God. That it is unconfessed sin that grieves the Holy Spirit. Oh, but when we pray, Father, forgive us our sins. Be careful. Be careful when you pray, Father, forgive. For we are not demanding. We are not making a demand of God. We are, we are reminding. We are reciting back to him his promises, his promise to forgive. Like he says in Jeremiah 33 and 8, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me. And I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. It is a reminder that God has forgiven you in Christ And that your sin no longer is a barrier. That God has granted you the gift of repentance. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to ask for forgiveness for yourself. It's easy to sit down before the Lord and confess your sins to him. But brothers and sisters, how many of you have prayed, Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. We have offended you today, God. We, we have transgressed your holy law. We have failed to praise you as we should. We have lacked com- contentment. We have gossiped. We have lied. We have, wandering, I have had wandering eyes today. We have sinned against you, O Lord. Forgive us our sins. We are to pray, Father, forgive us our sins. We should just not be grieved by our sin, but be grieved by all sin, especially those, the sins of those whom we are in fellowship with. Daniel understood this in Daniel 9, 4 through 19, and Ezra understood this as well in uh, Ezra 9, 5 through 15. But perhaps to us, the most familiar example of this is in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 1, when Nehemiah gets word that that the city of Jerusalem is in destruction, and he goes before the Lord and he prays to the Lord, and listen to what Nehemiah prays. He says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, Oh Lord God of heaven, 
the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we, we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah understood this. He was praying for the sins of the nation, confessing the sins of the nation. Next time you are praying, next time you are confessing your sin before the Lord, brothers and sisters, remember that we have all transgressed the law of God. So we pray, forgive us our sins. Men and fathers, men and fathers, this should be a reminder to you as well. That when you, when you lay down at night, when you lay down at night and pray, and you are confessing your sins before your father, remember that we intercede for our family as well for the sins of our household. That you pray, Father, forgive us our sins. That's what we are to pray. But we don't just pray for my own sin, but we pray for our sin. When we, when we as a community see the forgiveness of our father, the forgiveness that our father shows us, it compels us. It compels us to forgive. For we ourselves, the prayer says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We become a community when we pray that we become a community that not only preaches the gospel, not only proclaims the gospel, but lives the gospel. Think about it. Think about it. In, in, order, in order for a community, in order for a community to confess the sins, in order for you to confess the sins of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to be confessing that sin to one another. We have to be confessing it to one another, knowing that those sins and those struggles will be prayed for and not gossiped about. The community that does this is a community that is built on the gospel. It is a community that is built on the gospel where people can, can, can feel safe. They can feel safe to share those sins. They can feel safe to confess them because they are amongst a people who are, who are able to forgive and forget because they know the forgiving and forgetting nature of the gospel. They know that the only way they are able to sit, are able to forgive the trespasses of others is because the enormous debt that they hold, the heinous sin that they committed against the God who created them, has been forgiven. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. And like we learned last week, love keeps no record of wrong. Oh, these are some striking truths. This is community-oriented. This is a community-oriented prayer. And we see this lastly in and Jesus telling them to pray 
lead us, lead us not into temptation. The temptation being mentioned here is not a, is not a temptation of, of trial, but, but the temptation that will lead you to destruction. So, so in other words, we are to pray, keep us, Lord, from succumbing to the temptation. Keep us from stumbling, Lord. And in, in, like it says in Matthew chapter 6, the instructions there of the this, of this same prayer, we are to say, deliver us from evil. But we are not just to pray this for ourselves, but we are to pray, lead us not, lead us not into temptation. The fact is we, we all face temptations every day. And in various ways. And the way we fight that temptation is with prayer. Perhaps, perhaps this, is, this is Jesus preparing them, right? Perhaps he was preparing them. Preparing the disciples for what was to come. Because you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus tells them to pray. He says, pray that you might not be led into temptation. That you would be kept from temptation. He was not just telling them to pray for themselves only. But to pray for, the, for, the, for their brothers and sisters. For their brothers there. For their brothers there, that, that, that they would not be led into temptation. They would not succumb to it. Oh, how, how comforting, how comforting to you would it be if last night, if last night you were struggling with a temptation and the Lord, and the Lord delivered you from that temptation. And this morning you come to church and you are sitting next to your brother and sister and you are telling them and rejoicing that the Lord delivered you from this temptation last night. They say to you, I was, you know, I prayed yesterday. I prayed yesterday that the Lord would deliver the saints of East Point Church from temptation. Oh, how encouraged would you be? How how encouraged would they be? Oh, we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. This is what I mean when I say that this short prayer that Jesus models for us is jam-packed with truth. And that it has the power to transform and to change a community. To pray the the Lord's Prayer with corporate body in mind unites us. It unites us. It it grows us and it challenges us. And it displays for the world a people united in Christ. We are united in Christ and we show them that we are a people that not only pray for one another, but pray with one another. For the pray to the pray the, the 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 Lord's prayer encourages us to pray together. We we make it a point to come together to be encouraged by the corporate the corporate petition of the saints, and I think this is partly what Jesus was saying here. You want to learn how to pray, disciples? Pray together. Make it a point to pray together. As Cyprian once explained, the early church father, he says, before all things, the teacher of peace and the master of unity would have prayer to be 
made single, singly and individually as for one who prays to pray for himself alone. For we say, my father, which art in heaven, nor give me this day daily bread, nor does each one ask that only his own debt should be forgiven him. Nor does he request for himself alone that he may not be led into temptation and delivered from evil. Our prayer is public and common. And when we pray, we pray not for one, but for the whole people. Because we, the whole people, are one. We are one. We pray corporately. It is an overwhelmingly community-oriented prayer. But here's, here's the last thing that strikes me about this passage. Yes, I'm struck, and you should be struck too, that Jesus prays. And you should be struck that this is community-oriented. And then when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm just not praying for myself, but I'm praying corporately. I'm praying for those who, who I'm in community with. But here's the last thing that strikes me about this prayer. And this is perhaps the most important. You know, it is not uncommon. It is not uncommon to go into a sports locker room. It's not uncommon to go into a sports locker room before a game or to venture backstage of a, of a music artist um, right before a concert. It's not uncommon to see people in a circle holding hands, praying the Lord's prayer. Here's the thing that struck me about this passage. And I pray it will strike you this morning. This prayer is for believers. This prayer is for believers. One writer said, he said it this way. This prayer could easily be called the disciples prayer. It could easily be called the disciples prayer. He is right. The text says that one of the disciples came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. A group of people standing in a circle reciting the Lord's prayer has no power, no effectiveness if they are not followers of Christ. It's just words on a page. Understand. Understand that the Lord's prayer is a privilege. It is a privilege It means that you have been adopted into a family that you have no business being a part of. Have you ever gone somewhere and start looking around and like, I I know I don't belong up in here. Have you ever said that? I know I have plenty of times. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. We have been adopted into a family that we have no business being a part of. And Jesus tells you to pray, Father. Father. And in Matthew chapter 6, he instructs us to pray, Our Father. You get to call the creator of the universe. We were standing, we went camping the other night. We were standing over the campfire, looking up at this mass universe. The stars were shining bright. They were beautiful. Oh, it reminded us of our wonderful creator. And Jesus says that we get to call him father. We get to call him 
father. That is a privilege reserved only for his children. It is a privilege reserved for his children. And contrary to what many believe, not all, not all are his children. Only you who have trusted Christ know the privilege of seeing the transformative nature of this prayer. Perhaps you're here and you're saying, okay, are you, are you saying that when the unbeliever prays, God doesn't hear them? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Why should he hear you? You are an enemy of him. You are at enmity with God. Your sin has separated you from God. Why should he hear you? You are under his condemnation. You are under his wrath. Why should he hear you? And so if, if you are concerned about that this morning, I pray that you are. And you wonder, well, 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 can I pray to God? Is there a prayer that he does hear? Yes. There is one prayer that we'll get through. There is one prayer that he will hear. It's the prayer of repentance. Repent and believe the gospel. When the, when the Philippian jailer was there, he says, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, repent and believe the gospel. If you are here and you are not a follower of Christ, the only prayer that is getting through to the father is a prayer of repentance. And so I pray and plead with you, repent, repent and believe the gospel. And guess what? When you do that, you get to call the one who created the universe, father. To call him father is a privilege reserved for his children. For when you call him father, the reason you know this is a privilege is because you recognize him as holy and other. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, O Lord. The fact that you can boldly go to him as his children brings you to your knees in worship. <laughs> happened to Isaiah, happened to Peter. Oh, as the fish jump in the boat. <laughs> He says, Lord, I, I am unclean and I'm undone. He recognizes his, his father as holy. This is, the, this is the disciples' prayer also because it, belongs only to the, it only belongs to the believer because the disciple is concerned about, about his father's kingdom. The unbeliever is not concerned about about the father's kingdom. He is not praying thy kingdom come. He is the one who, who has the privilege of calling God their father. He is about God's business. He is praying for God's kingdom to come. You know, most of us, most of us have no problem praying, Lord, let thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. As long as as long as it's filled with my wants and my desires 
and my needs. We pray, we pray as Paul Tripp says, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. He goes on and on. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. But as long as I have the things that I want within that kingdom. No, the child of God is concerned about seeing God's kingdom advance. Seeing God's agenda perpetuated. They are concerned with God being, God's kingdom being promoted. You know this? You know, when we pray this as a, as a community, when we, when we get together, when we gather as God's people and we pray this prayer as a community, there's no room for anybody else's kingdom. Your kingdom come means that there's no room for Philip's kingdom. That there, is, that there is no room for Wendell's kingdom. That there's no room for Angel's kingdom. That there is no room for Christie's kingdom. God's kingdom, let your kingdom come. His kingdom reigns. Only his kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Oh, this is an amazing prayer. This is an amazing prayer. In just 36 words, and we get all, I got to be praying forever. I got to pray long and long. I got to use all these eloquent words. And in just 36 words, Jesus rocks our world if we pray this prayer. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, we have no, no excuse not to pray. None. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. That's reason enough. If you are in Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God and you get to call him Father. And he hears us. Oh, that should cause you to want to pray too. Understand the privilege. It is a privilege to pray. And then that he has graciously united us to a family that we can pray with, that we can pray for, that we can hear these petitions, that we can pray as a community. Let your kingdom come. (laughs) So let's, let's see. No more excuses, right? No more excuses. No more, I don't know how. Let's get to the business of the kingdom and pray. And the theological questions, does prayer change things? Yes, it changes you and it changes us. And so we pray this prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. Father, we get to call you Father. That is amazing considering our sin. Considering that we loved the darkness and hated the light. Considering that we were at enmity with you, had no desire for your kingdom to come. 
you adopted us into your household and said, you call me father. And so we call you that this morning. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us, O Lord. Give East Point Church, O Lord, each day our daily bread. And forgive us, forgive the sins of East Point Church, O Lord. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Oh, and Father, be it this day and every day, lead us not into temptation. For your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.